talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. Don't forget to wear a poppy and pay tribute to those who fought for what we have today. Here's Scott Thompson! <laughs> Good afternoon. It is 310. It's Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom. On this Remembrance Day, and uh, a little a little nicer one than last time in the sense that uh, things are opening up a little bit and we get to pay a little bit more tribute uh, to those, although not uh, certainly the way we would like it and uh, the way it was before uh, the global pandemic, but uh, certainly the point getting across. And an interesting thing I was thinking about is, do we think of a Remembrance Day different now in a pandemic world? I remember there was times when I was a kid and a young adult when many were questioning, you know, oh, geez, does this honor war? Does this do that? Does this? And, and, and you know, I think obviously after Afghanistan and such, um, you know, a lot of opinions have changed. Uh, but it, it's interesting, even post-pandemic, has that given us uh, a greater empathy and a greater respect uh, for those that did so much to make this, man, one of the greatest countries in the world. Uh, so again, lest we forget and uh, pay tribute, hearts, hands on hearts today for uh, those that uh, not only uh, have done it in the past and paid the ultimate price, but those that continue to do it every single day in our Canadian Armed Forces and uh, and and do it very proudly uh, with Canada on their shoulders. So uh, Remembrance Day uh, celebrations to all of them, hands on hearts, and uh, get that poppy out uh, high and proud. You know, I think about Remembrance Day, um, me personally, it reminds me, and, and maybe this is uh, what happens in your family as well. But, you know, especially in this area, in the Hamilton area, there's just so many people that have served and, and over the years and, um, and the history in the city is, is quite rich. But often we think back to the stories that we heard about. Uh, from the day from the war and you know i think today we talk about these things a bit more freely uh than we we did in the past our relatives did in the past and so really what you get or what we used to get as kids um was stories of the war my mother um uh, immigrated here after the war in 1946. Uh, she grew up in, she was raised in, uh, born in Glasgow, raised in Aberdeen. So they used to see a lot of uh, enemy aircraft going uh, over overhead on their way to uh, the UK and back over the North Sea and such. And um, we all remember what that sound is over Hamilton when the Lancaster does its it does its rounds and makes us so proud um not so much for people of my mother's era and um, brings back memories and some of them are pretty uh deep but it's great that they do remember the stories and pass them on every year to the parents the grandparents the kids and this is what this day is about and I can think of a couple of stories that um, I remember when my relatives would get together, uh, probably eat, have uh, too many cocktails, and then start telling stories about um, running to the bomb shelters, uh, playing hide-and-seek in bombed-out buildings, which they'd get hell from from the MPs. They were telling these stories were laughing, by the way. And, um, you know, I'll never forget the story my mom used to tell us as kids uh, whenever we didn't want to go to school. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, I remember the day when we all got up and go off to school and uh, they got there. And I guess there had been an attack the night before and there was nothing left of the school except the chimney. And, uh, you know, so the kids were like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> And they all came home. And, you know, of course, when my grandmother, who I never met, um, you know, whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on? Get your, your butts to school. No, there's nothing there. Nothing left. And I remember my mother telling me the story that, uh, 
you know, it, you just couldn't walk out of the house and even see if the school was blown out without putting on a dress and combing your hair or such. So she, re- I remember telling the story about my, you know, uh, mother, my grandmother getting ready to, <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to take you to school. And they had to wait for her to get dressed and, you know, put her hair up and whatever it is that they did back then. And then she marched them all to school. And sure enough, by the time he got there, uh, other parents, other kids, it's gathered round, and uh, well, we got a problem here, don't we? And uh, but yeah, then of course, uh, all the parents believed the kids because none of the parents believed the kids that the school was actually gone, and uh, they marched all the kids to school. Where? Oh, yeah, never mind. One of the many stories that they used to tell and laughing and, you know, I remember she was so mad at us. We, she thought we were lying. Bah, 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 bah. And then, you know, stood there with kind of her mouth hanging open. And uh, well, what do we do now? Uh, and, of course, that's, you know, that's another story. Uh, but all sorts of, uh, you know, tall tales like that and, you know, and, and, and things that happened over the course of their childhood uh, growing up in the war. So those are the stories we have to share. Those are the things we have to remember. Because uh, I remember, you know, as kids thinking, um, it was pretty scary, you know. Uh, you know, although the thought of, you know, your school being blown to bits kind of made you smile. Uh, it was obviously a very, very difficult time. And, um, and, and they got through it with humor. They got through it uh, ignoring the bad times, the death and, and whatever happened. And focusing on these stories that that um, they got them through it the laughter that got them through it and um, that sort of thing uh, and and those are the things we have to cherish those are uh, the things we have to tell our kids and our grandkids and and remind everybody which I think COVID-19 has done because you know I, I my mother and I still have long conversations about stuff and um, she's often compared what we are going through to a world war and she said now's when people get together now's when we see what we're made of and now is when we move on and that is something we have to remember every single remembrance day that's why we do it i look back at kid when we were kids and sometime uh, when i was very young we used to get the day off then we not you know then they stopped doing that and it was only government offices and things like this and you took time during your day 11th hour 11th day and such many complained about that we don't have the emphasis we should we don't we don't honor the way we used to because we don't have the day off i think those memories of post world war 2 70s 80s 90s i think it's a different time now and i think we really 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 do appreciate and support those that have given themselves so we can have uh, the life that we do and it is so important um, and we do have the debate although less now in a pandemic world but even before this you know do we really need to be doing this isn't it honoring this is it honoring that and what we're honoring is those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. What we're honoring is everybody who works hard every single day, every citizen, to try to make this a better place, a better democracy for all of us. And if we can just remember that and, and be nice to people and empathetic and, and, and build this new life post-pandemic, whatever the heck it is, if we can remember the spirit of these people, you know, I think we'll be okay. But I think it's very important that every single Remembrance Day, we do stop and pause and tell those stories. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Elon Musk, we've been we've talked about him a couple of times uh, of late, and and because he's been in the news, whether it's um, you know over Twitter chatting about his uh, feelings about the UN and, and donating money to them, or asking his uh, followers uh, if he should sell stake in his uh, own company. I'm, is that all legal? I don't know. Uh, let's bring in Eric Cam, professor of macroeconomics, Ryerson University, and with us now. Eric, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I hope you and all the listeners are as well. Uh, Eric, is what Elon Musk is doing, is this ethical? Is this allowed? How how close to the edge is he going here? 
Well, you asked about legal, and I have to, of course, preface this with I'm not a lawyer. I let most of my family down when I chose to go into academia instead. <laughs> um, so we'll go back to the moral question. And the reality is um, there's a little chicanery here in terms of this whole Twitter idea, but there's nothing wrong with what he did. I mean, a lot of people buy and sell shares. Elon Musk just deals in numbers far bigger than you and I probably will ever have to worry about. So simply put, he sold about a million shares for about $1.1 billion on Monday, which he says he's going to cover tax obligations um, coming up in the near future. And, you know, he hasn't really responded to the media asking him, why did you turn to Twitter? Which, you know, means there's one of two things going on. One is he just wanted to reach out and talk to people who follow him on Twitter. I mean, we've known for years there have been people who are famous for being famous. Well, Elon Musk is basically famous for being wealthy. So he went to Twitter and said, what should I do? And here's a couple of choices. Now, here's the reality. The stock sales that Musk launched were massive by any standards, any capital markets in the world, larger than most initial public offerings. So by reaching out to Twitter and saying, okay, followers, what should I do? I mean, what if they said you shouldn't do this? Would he have not done it? No, he's a business person. He didn't get to be a gazillionaire, as you put it, by being stupid. But what this did was it gave him a little bit of good faith. It, it opened him up to his fan base. And he kind of brought people into his life, which, you know what? Everybody else is doing it on social media. Why not the richest man in the world? Uh, how does this affect the price of the share? Well, that's a funny thing. Um, the share price fell. The share price fell at first, as it tends to do when any investor starts to unload large amounts of the stock. But you know what? That's going to be a very short run phenomenon. This is still a very, very highly sought after share. And it's not like he's got nothing left. He still owns almost 4 million shares in the company worth around $4 billion. This isn't pocket change. So as long as Elon Musk appears to be financially viable, and Lord knows he's more than financially viable, and he says he's going to use the money not only to pay off taxes, but to introduce new capital ventures, you can rest assured people that follow him and all of his whims for their financial advice, they're going to be buying that stock again very quickly. So the fact that you've seen it fall in the last 24 to 48 hours is just an effect you see every time a large amount of a stock gets dumped onto the market. Uh, and obviously, would that entice buyers? I mean, buy low, sell high, no? Buy low, sell high, sure. It will entice some buyers. Listen, when you get to be of that status, it'll entice some yeah. buyers just because of name only. But of course, people are going to see that the price has dropped. And so what they call the smart money um, is going to jump in and try to grab the stock. But you know what? It's uh, it's not exactly cheap any way to purchase. So this <laughs> yeah. isn't something that you know brand new investors may jump in and do. This is going to be people that are seasoned market watchers. They are going to see a potential bargain that come in and swoop up these shares. You brought uh, interesting uh, earlier on. You used the term fan base, which we don't often talk about when we're talking about people of this stature or such. We talk about their uh, financial acumen, what have you. We don't talk about fan base. Is this about ego or financial planning? You know what? I don't think it's about either. I think this is the phenomenon that not a lot of people want to talk about, which is ever since the big crash in the United States, people called it the subprime crisis, which is actually a funny name. But what happened is that there's been this unprecedented movement against capitalism. We've seen it in Canada. We've seen it in yep. the United States that people have rallied loud and proud against capitalism and the ills of a profit driven market. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it so interesting that some people are above the fray? And the first one was Steve Jobs. And the second one is Elon Musk. And these people are made of Teflon. And the reason, and not to make this too simple, they make really cool stuff that people want to buy. So they mm. are celebrities and they are rich for being rich and they are rich for being famous and they have followers. And it is a creation of social media. It is a creation of the world today. This couldn't have happened in the 70s or 80s because we couldn't have reached out to our quote unquote financial heroes and talked to them. But now we can. 
we can, and they can write you back and they can correspond with you. And it is a sign of the mm. times that you can be rich, you can be famous, and you can be contacted by your fans. Where is where are we going post pandemic? Because as you said, people have a different view of all of this now. What are you seeing? And I mean, obviously, we're gazing into a crystal ball. But where do you see the new economy? Where do you see us going? Uh, I think that we have to break up in the short run and the long run. And since Kane said in the long run, we're all dead. Let's go back to the short run. <laughs> I, I think we have to be careful. I think we have to be careful because as you see, we are heading into a time where all of the money that has been printed and all of the handouts that people have been given are starting to spur on inflation. Now, how do you how do you combat inflation? Well, there's really only one good way, and it's the way the Bank of Canada has been talking about, and that's raising interest rates. But as soon as you mm -hmm. raise interest rates, you raise the cost of borrowing, and you can imagine that things like consumption and investment may start to decrease. So your question is excellent, and the answer is right now, it's a balancing act, and we have to be careful because we have to keep spending at a certain level to keep the economy liquid, but you can't keep spending at such a level and people chasing dollars at such a level that the price level gets out of control and people's purchasing power goes through the floor. So it's, it, is, it is a crystal ball, you're right. But for the Bank of Canada right now, it's a balancing act. Where do we put that interest rate so that spending continues, but not at ridiculous rates that drive up the price level? Eric Cam with us, professor of macroeconomics, Ryerson University, talking about the world beyond COVID and, and how Elon Musk fits into it all. Uh, Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. Stay healthy. Larry Danny with us, former mayor of Hamilton. Uh, what's going on at City Hall? I mean, we're we're hearing all kinds of stuff. I, you know, I don't want to get into people's dirty laundry and 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 air things that um, um, that that are accusations at this point or what have you. But is there a, a toxic culture? Is there something that needs to be addressed down there? Well, let me put it this way: that uh, every time you put together a a group of um, uh, political uh, individuals who are trying to achieve certain goals uh, in an atmosphere that um, um, is, is pressure-filled because the pressures come from all sorts of different levels, uh, sometimes things go awry. And uh, it's not unique to politics. It's, it's most obvious in politics because it's, you know, uh, so public, uh, you know, you've got the press there, you've got uh, um, uh, professional staff there, you've got uh, colleagues who are colleagues, but also rivals in terms of ideas. Uh, and, uh, and so these things bubble over. Um, they shouldn't, but, uh, but they do. And uh, that's, I think, what's happening now. So is it more toxic, toxic than it's ever been? Uh, I, I hope not. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not there and, and, and don't know firsthand um, all of the interplays, but uh, judging from what's been written in the last few days, uh, things got out of hand, and that's unfortunate. So, uh, as we know, Councillor Whitehead has been sanctioned. It was a 12-0 to 0 vote at uh, Council, uh, Code of Conduct violations, and follow the recommendations. What does this mean? What is, how, is, how will this play out? Well, um, so, you know, a sanction is a fairly serious thing. Um, and so council decided to take the advice of the integrity commissioner in terms of sanctioning it. Uh, I can tell you that I know Councillor Whitehead. I've known him for years now, and he's been a, a, a passionate and, uh, and um, uh, sometimes uh, aggressive individual in terms of trying to get his points across. Uh, if he crossed the line, as it seems that he did, uh, the council has, has taken uh, the word of the integrity commissioner in terms of providing some corrective measures uh, for that. Uh, but, you know, the, the larger context, and this doesn't excuse behavior, of course, but the larger context is that we've got an individual as well who's been struggling with some mental health issues that he's told us about uh, that, that predate his leave, uh, and this is not to excuse bad behavior, but I'm also seeing some in the social media uh, also piling on um, yeah, with yeah. with their, uh, I think, excessive um, uh, accusations as well as as uh, remedies for what should be done. 
And uh, we can, we've always got to remember that we're dealing with human beings here with frailties and foibles and error-prone um, behavior sometimes. Uh, and, uh, and so that's a context that needs to be taken into consideration as well. And, and that does not in any way excuse bad behavior when it happened, as it obviously did, according to uh, what the Integrity Commissioner wrote. And and as you mentioned, it's it's important here to focus on the solution and moving forward as well as absolutely uh, the case you know, at hand. So, so this 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 movie is played before. Uh, it's yeah, not, it's not unique to this time, unfortunately. I mean, I remember years ago before I was even involved uh, that there were you know, and this made the media of, of the you know of, of people grabbing each other by the throat. Uh, in a physical way, uh, not in aggressive questioning, but in a physical way, uh, and uh, and that's not good um, at all. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know if people really reflect on this in their own workplaces. Um, if, if you were yeah, let's be of, serious. This isn't just city hall. <laughs> you know, this is no, happening but, but, in a lot of workplaces. But, but you know, and and the moment I say that, it sounds as if I'm trying to soft pedal, which no. I, of course I no, am no. not. Yeah. It's not appropriate anywhere. It happens in far too many places. I've seen it in education, uh, where, where, where tempers bubble over. I've seen it in politics. Uh, I've seen it in family situations. Um, I've intervened in some uh, neighborhood situations as well. I've seen it in parks when children are playing and parents get involved in, in aggressive behavior towards each other. Should it happen? Absolutely not. Should there be repercussion when it does happen, either from a legal perspective or, or, or some sort of sanction such as happened the other day? Yes. But you've also always got to remember that you want to build from there. You want to learn and build from there. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to make things worse. So what comes of this, Larry? Post-pandemic, people are regaging their priorities. They're looking at things a lot differently. Where do you see this going? Yeah, well, I, I, I hope that there's some sober self-reflection. Um, it sounds like a number of councillors made, uh, the mayor and a number of councillors made uh, some, some uh, I think, very telling statements about reflecting on, on how to behave when someone allows his temper or her temper to get the better of them. And rather than adding fuel to, to find some way of de-escalating and, and bringing people down either before or after, I think that there needs to be as well some uh, uh, some way of uh, of people with with uh, uh, mental health issues uh, to uh, to flag that and and receive some support so that it doesn't get to a a, a point like uh, happened uh, in this case uh, and and also some sober self reflection on the part of individuals who have to look within themselves to say. Okay, what am I trying to achieve? How am I trying to achieve it? Is this the best way? Can I, you know, take a, 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 a ten count instead of blurting out whatever it is that I, I want to say mm. because I'm so angry about it? Can I take a ten count and kind of calm down, uh, and then approach this with some fresh, um, uh, when I'm fresher and perhaps not as sanguine about things? Uh, and then allow that to, to carry the day. Um, you know, am I being naive in suggesting that tempers will never fray again at uh, this particular political body or others? Uh, probably I am, uh, but one can always hope and aspire better. Larry Tiani with us, former mayor of Hamilton, talking about the mood down at City Hall. Larry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. It's Hamilton Today. Uh, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks. Uh, joining us around the big round table to discuss the issues of the day. Uh, good afternoon to you all. I hope you're doing well. Yes, we are. Good afternoon. Let's start with Remembrance Day. Um, I remember, and Ted, you're you're a bit older yet, so you can remember the evolution of Remembrance Day. I remember when you actually used to get the day off, but yep. I was very, very young. I think it was like for a year or two, and then that was it. Um, and, and many said, "Well, you know, it's, it's losing its um, it's losing its significance. We don't pay attention to it." And then, of course, uh, Canadian military getting more involved overseas and in, in in what had happened in in Afghanistan and such. Do we look at it differently now? And 
to add on to that, does the pandemic make us look at this differently now, Ted? Differently as in how? As in More empathetic, more concerned, more willing. Uh, have our priorities changed? I there? would say the last several years, uh, not even counting the pandemic years, that it just seemed that, if you will, it meant more because I yeah. know when we were, uh, I'm speaking for myself here, when we were, you know, going to public school and what have you, we would, as you say, have the day off. Um, and I remember, and I think back to it now, and nobody really said anything, but we would go out and play road hockey on Remembrance yeah. Day, but at 11 o'clock, we'd f- somehow find out and we'd stop and drop the sticks and, yeah. you know, moment of silence, and then we'd carry on. So I don't think people would be doing that now. I just think it means more now as all of us get older and we hear the stories of the, uh, you know, the soldiers that are uh, no longer with us or the last surviving member. Or and even Nathan and, and even Corporal Nathan Cirillo. Yes. And, yeah. and what happened uh, at the War Memorial in Ottawa. I that mean, that actually seemed to be the, if you will, uh, catalyst to, to use another word of what really seemed to um, kind of change people's opinions or change their mind on what they should be doing when it comes to Remembrance Day. Diana, are we more empathetic now? Has the pandemic changed us in any way? Are we looking at it differently now? Uh, I'm not sure if the pandemic has changed things. I think it's definitely made us more grateful for certain things and, and, you know, to be more humble and just, you know, uh, be extra thankful for, I guess, everything that we do have. So maybe that's what's changed. But I do think that in terms of younger generations um, really getting on board with with the memorial services and, you know, going to the cenotaphs, I think I was at a memorial service a few years ago where there was, uh, you know, a group of school kids, I guess, that had gone to their the uh, the yeah. cenotaph and you know they were chuckling and doing things like school kids do you know you're out for a day trip they don't really understand the brevity of, of what's going on and I remember I'm not sure who it was that was speaking but they were speaking about you know how the men and women that went off to war were not much older than them if not the yeah. same age and so I th- think it really hammered home to them geez like they were like 18 you know when they went and younger and it's just um I think with with like Nathan Cirillo, Corporal Nathan Cirillo, and just putting faces to the younger people that are overseas right now, I think younger generations are starting to realize like this is not just, you know, old guys, you know, that that that's a valid point. Yeah, that we see in the heritage commercials. You know, these are like real people that we know. And how many times today, Diana, do we hear from people who fought in Bosnia, in Afghanistan? So it's not just about World War One and World War Two and the Korean conflict. It's it's a little uh, um, a little closer to home, if you will. Yeah. Well, your thoughts to the younger generation appreciate this. Yeah, I think I've noticed a, a, a lot of shifts over how Remembrance Day is perceived uh, just over the course of my adult lifetime. And I think people are getting a, a broader, more empathetic understanding. Uh, it, it, it's always about, as we move forward, you're always getting a bigger context of what the past was as well and what it meant for people. And I think with all the talk, even over the pandemic, just of mental health, that that has informed yeah. how younger people look back at the past, look at their grandparents and get an understanding of the previous generation, including just their own relatives and how they behaved and who they were, that sort of thing. And also uh, the Royal, sorry, just to interject, I've noticed yep. that the Royal Canadian Legion is really doing a great job on social media. And I think that's appealing to um, a lot of younger people that are on Instagram, for example, because I know they have a great Instagram account and they're doing their stories and they're sharing profiles and really making it appeal to that younger generation, which I think is really important. That is very important because the legions are really feeling the pinch. And, you know, uh, are the younger people getting involved in understanding what they're all about? So that's a very good point. Uh, poll question of the day. This uh, We chatted about this yesterday. Do celebrity endorsements influence your buying habits? Uh, 94% say no. Uh, this in regard to the Bieber bits. Uh, we know that Diana's in full throttle with this. She's going. Uh, but does it, in, you know, somebody, Jordan shoes, whatever. I mean, does it influence how we how we buy stuff, Ted? Mm-mm. No. But <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I saw the story yesterday. Do you not have somebody, like an endorsement, somebody, you're wearing somebody's pants. You're wearing somebody's shoes. You're wearing somebody's... Chicago you know I mean? cereal? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you had to go there. Huh? Yeah. You had to go there. What I find cool for me is when, for example, I love to wear Skechers. They are really comfortable shoes. So yes. then when I see commercials of so-and-so celebrity, I prefer to think of that as that person is wearing what I'm wearing as opposed to me wearing <laughs> what they're wearing. I got them first type thing. So that's uh, all. Uh, basically, I like that. Thank you. See? See? You all you all laughed at the Chicago cereal, but but now you're jumping on, on my side. Well, so we all know. I remember in the newsroom pre-pandemic uh, pre when you came in with the Skechers, people just looked at you in a different light, Ted. It's see? Like, wow. Because I'm a fashion maven. I know how to dress. <laughs> that's see? exactly what see, it is. See, I'm telling uh, you. All right. Uh, is it? We only got, uh, got a couple of minutes left, so let's cram this one in. Um, too early for Christmas or considering what we've all been through, do we need it? Remember before that, uh, before uh, pandemic, oh man, it's already happening. Uh, we were talking to Lock Street today. They're going to do their big thing because they've been, they've been disabled from the uh, pandemic, but also the construction ahead of time. They want to get started. Is it different this year in the sense that, yeah, we're going to be a little more open to starting it early? Ted? Let's, uh, this is what everybody says. Start after Remembrance Day. So yeah. if they're doing the Lock Street thing this weekend, it's after yep. Remembrance. I'm okay now because I what what I love most about Christmas, of course, family stuff, is I love seeing people put Christmas lights up. Not, yeah. you know, not like a Clark Griswold type thing, but just nice Christmas <laughs> lights just to get you in the mood or what have you. So you can start off slowly. The weather may not be the best this weekend, but kind of ease into it. What I don't like is when I go to a store b- before Thanksgiving and in the back corner they got the little Santa Claus are staring yep. at you. <laughs> you know, it's eyeing you, Ted. It's, it's looking, looking at, so, me. at you. So what you're saying, Ted, is you don't want 40,000 imported Italian twinkle lights? <laughs> Come on. You don't want to Griswold your house up? <laughs> well, then who would pay my hydro bill? That's, well, that's the other part. Then there that's was the true. year he took out the neighborhood by, uh, you know, <laughs> using one too many octopus on his things. But we digress. Uh, we are uh, plum out of time. So Christmas, uh, thumbs up. Here we go. Full throttle. Uh, there we go. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, let's bring in Mayor Fred Eisenberger, City of Hamilton. Uh, Remembrance Day, um, to me, takes on... I, I've been fortunate enough to work in, in a, a few cities across this great country. And Hamilton is a very, very historic city. And, and Remembrance Day and, and what happens down at the Cenotaph, it's just uh, it, it's very much a different feeling because of the history and the military history in this city. Let's bring in Mayor Fred now. Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Very much so. Uh, thank you, uh, Scott. Mayor, let's talk about the history of this city and what Remembrance Day means to this city. I mean, it is a very historic city with a long military career. It is, uh, you know, and, and not only uh, just Hamilton uh, as as in old Hamilton, but we're thinking about uh, you know Glenbrook and uh, Dundas and Ancaster and Stony Creek. All of them have uh, have cenotaphs and memorials and. They all memorialize uh, individuals that uh, went to war to uh, fight for freedoms and democracy, many of them that didn't come back, and, and many of them served at, uh, you know, both First, First World War, Second World War, Korean War, uh, you know, going on to kind of current, current times. Uh, there's been a great uh, military tradition in Hamilton. Uh, we have the Argyles uh, you know, operating out of our uh, armories. Uh, that has been very central to, you know, the city of Hamilton for, you know, the, since the turn of the previous century, in fact. And so the history of, uh, of participation in conflict uh, has been strong. And certainly, uh, as a result, we see, you know, many memorials happening throughout the city as a result, as a result of that. And, and, you know, what we add to that, you know, Hamilton is, uh, is, is, you know, 35, 40% built on immigration. Uh, and a lot of that immigration uh, happened after war years of folks, uh, you know, fleeing a country that was having challenges and uh, came to Canada looking for a better place. So when you combine all of that, I think there is a lot of uh, respect and remembrance that, uh, that, that speaks to not only the conflict and not only those that survived or passed away, but also those that experienced those, uh, those conflicts that, uh, that are now residing in Canada and, want to remember and uh, and and respect and admire those that participated
Uh, you talked about how uh, a city of immigrants, uh, you know, all of southern Ontario is, and, you know, my my mother uh, came from the old country per se. I know your family came from the Netherlands. What does it mean for you, especially considering Canada's involvement in the Netherlands? Well, there's a long-standing relationship uh, based on the, uh, the liberation of Holland that was largely uh, Canadian Canadians coming in first, and uh, certainly my parents, my dad was uh, actually picked up as a 19-year-old by the Germans when they occupied the country and brought to Germany to work in the uh, German German arm, arm camp. So he was, a, for all intents and purposes, a prisoner of war forced into forced labor to create arms for the, the German army machine. And, of course, my mother was uh, was occupied in the, in the Netherlands. And so uh, they both have significant stories uh, about not only their experience in Germany, but my mother's, you know, experience when when we talk about Liberation Day, uh, when they remember, you know, armies and or, or volumes and volumes of uh, when we see the Lancaster bomber come over uh, Hamilton mm. and how noisy and rattling it is. Mm. Uh, there were hundreds going over Holland, heading towards Germany to uh, to liberate, uh, you know, Europe at the time, and she remembers. The China falling off the uh, off the tables and uh, wow. the windows rattling and and just how, how how scary but exciting it was to see the effort of liberation uh, you know starting to evolve and then of course Liberation Day uh, the great celebration that she was very much part of so uh, you know those stories uh, you know are handed down from generation to generation there's a lot of gratitude from the uh, the Dutch towards Canadians. Uh, you know, the tulips we see, many of them are, are coming from Holland as gifts from Holland to uh, continue to show their appreciation. And there's a lot of twinning between uh, municipalities, uh, specifically Burlington and Appledorn, I believe. Uh, Hamilton, mm. we, don't have, we don't have a twin city in Holland, uh, oddly enough. But, uh, but the reality is there's a lot of appreciation for the work Canadian soldiers did to liberate Holland uh, back in 1945. And what's amazing, Fred, is you can go into any house in Hamilton and hear a similar story. And whether it's way back when or even, you know, more recent stories of of recent conflicts, those stories exist in almost every household, don't they? Yeah, they do. And, and, you know, I mean, that's almost a sad commentary, but also a reality. I think, uh, you know, when we think about what what we're remembering is, is yes, the the people that serve, but what what did they serve for? What 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 was their objective? Their objective was to uh, to not live in tyranny, to have a free and open society, to have democracy, uh, and to have the rule of law applied uh, in their communities rather than having to be run by tyrants and dictators and the kind of folks that were trying to take over you know the vast chunks of Europe uh, that they made the attempt to do. So that was the, the essence of the fight. It was the principles that they stood for. And, and those principles are still as strong today as ever. And hopefully, uh, we can uh, you know, continue to work towards maintaining those principles, even though we see divisions uh, in our communities. But I think you know, many of the families that, uh, that have had those traditions or were part of the, uh, the, the war effort back then on both sides uh, are interested in the kind of democracy and freedoms uh, that we enjoy as a result of the sacrifices of so many back in uh, 1945 and, and the previous wars in, uh, in 1919 as well. So we, uh, you know, that 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 really was what the fight is about, and I think we celebrate that today uh, as a as a, an aspiration that should never go away, and that uh, is an aspiration that so many died for, and, uh, and and an aspiration that so many are grateful that they uh, they, they sacrificed their lives for. Well said, Mayor Fred Eisenberger with us, City of uh, Hamilton, City of Hamilton, talking about Remembrance Day and what it means to this city. Fred, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. A pleasure, Scott. Thank you very much. All right. It is Remembrance Day in the Hammer, and we want to bring in uh, Ron Foxcroft. You know him. You love him. Uh, oh, and his new book, uh, 40 Ways of the Fox, which is mandatory reading for everybody in the house, especially the youngins. Uh, and uh, here today because uh, of his memories and thoughts as a former honorary colonel with the Argyle Regiment, chairman of the Argyle Commemorative Fundraising, uh, fundraising Campaign as well. And Ron is with us now. Ron, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. It's my pleasure, Scott, and this is a, a very special day, a very important day, Remembrance Day, and consistent with the song that we'll put up on, on the introduction, Simply the Best. I think 
the fact we should be proud of all of Canada to take today, Remembrance Day, reflect and remember, lest we forget, and tribute all of those military people that have served our country so that we can enjoy living in the best country in the world and enjoy the uh, the freedom and democracy that we have today and don't take for granted. Today is a very important and special day, Scott. It's, you know, it's amazing. Earlier on, we were talking to uh, Mayor Fred, and we were talking about how in this city, in Hamilton, because of its history, because of its history with the military, it just, it, it really feels different. You can really feel the weight of Remembrance Day uh, in this city. And we all remember as well uh, when Corporal Nathan Cirillo lost his life at the more, uh, War Memorial in Ottawa. And, and, and just the, 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 the way the, the city responded and, and resonated, um, uh, with his memory in the time after w- w- was incredibly moving. And I remember, uh, as, uh, part of the Argyles that you went to the UK and, uh, you know, as part of honoring Corporal Nathan Cirillo with the Argyles. Can you tell us a bit about that experience and what it was like for you? I sure can, Scott. And, you know, the mayor said it well. Uh, we have a tremendous military history, and history is important in, in terms of honoring all the people that have served in the Canadian military for us in Canada, but specifically in Hamilton. Of course, we have the Argyle, the famous Argyle Regiment, and the Rileys, the RHLI, and, yeah. and so on. But um, some of your listeners may not be aware, but Queen Elizabeth, Her Majesty. Elizabeth is the colonel-in-chief of the Argyle Regiment. Mm. And when the tragedy did occur with uh, Corporal Cirillo, uh, she was serving as the colonel-in-chief of the Argyle Regiment. Well, Hamilton put on the most respectful and largest uh, military funeral in Canadian history and, and really made Canada proud that, that we respected the military as much as we did. Shortly after that, uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, being the colonel-in-chief, she contacted our regiment and said, this was a very tragic event, and I want to express my condolences in person. Please come to my apartment in Buckingham Palace because I am so concerned. I want to express condolences, and I am the colonel-in-chief and proudly the colonel-in-chief of the Argyles in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. When we got there, Scott, I'll tell you, it was a flurry of pride and a heartthrob for me because Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth turned to me and said, you know, Colonel, I have done my homework and I want to share with you something that's very important to me that you know the best trained soldiers and regiments in the world are Canadians. Hmm. Scott? I was standing there in her apartment as a Canadian just oozing with pride because she had stated the obvious that the best trained soldiers and regiment and reserves in the world are Canadian and of course we're there representing the Argyles from Hamilton Ontario. So there is a tremendous history and Scott I just want to share with your your listeners you know the the slogan lest we forget I prefer to call that a guarantee that we as Canadians do not forget all those people that served us in the Canadian military so that we can enjoy living in the best country in the entire world. You've seen uh, a few versions of Remembrance Day in your time. Um, many, uh, you know, there was a time in our history when um, we didn't pay as much attention to it, and then the pendulum sort of, you know, swung back. And 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 with the conflict that Canadian soldiers have been in uh, for the past few decades around the world, more and more awareness seems to be uh, focused on uh, the, the Canadian Armed Forces and our military and such. Is it different today, post? pandemic do we do we feel different about uh, remembrance day today than we did say in years past does it mean something different great question i would have to answer that with an affirmative uh, positive yes it's more important to us one of the things about the pandemic i think that many canadians have had more time to reflect and to mm. look back and and take the time 
to appreciate the the work that the veterans and the sacrifice that they've given to us. And I, I really think, too, Scott, and sometimes we're not aware of this, but because of Afghanistan and Bosnia and Korean uh, situation, we now have veterans that are very young. We have veterans that are yeah. in their late 20s, early 30s, 40s. So I, I think there's there's more reflection on us because the people that are shoulder to shoulder are are younger people and their memories are not distant. They're they're very current. I think there's a lot more respect from Canadians towards Remembrance Day and reflection on on the great sacrifice uh, our military have given to us in Canada. You know, you bring up a very valid point because, again, my uh, my mother lived through the Second World War, was a kid uh, during the war, and, and as I grew up in the 70s and 80s, there was less chatter about this. It was still more about the Second World War than anything mm-hmm. like that. But then, you know, and, and I believe it was in Hamilton, meeting members uh, of the Argyles or people that had served in other areas of the world of, of conflict. It's it's something when you can meet a young person who has served. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's, it, it sends shivers up your spine. It's really close to us, Scott, because these people that have served their country in the Canadian military, they have passion, they have dedication, they have courage, but most important, they have sacrificed. We have witnessed mm. this firsthand. Some of these very young people are serving our Canadian military, and they've put their lives on hold, their careers on hold, and they've done that because they have dedication, they have courage, most important, Scott, they have a love for their country, and it's their way to give back. They don't do it for honor, for awards, and they certainly don't do it for money. They do it because they're dedicated, and they love their country, and it's their way to give back. And they're right with us, Scott, some of them very young, very courageous, and we can never forget that. Ron Foxcroft with us, former honorary colonel with the Argyle Regiment, chairman of the Argyle Commemorative Fundraising Campaign, speaking about Remembrance Day 2021 edition. Ron, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Thank you. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, uh, you may have heard uh, U.S. President Joe Biden is reviving the Three Amigos Summit. What is that? Well, at one time, uh, the presidents of uh, the United States and Mexico and the prime minister of the day would all get together, and they'd have these uh, um, summits, what have you, and and talk about things like trade and and so on, because we all share basically uh, the big, the same big hunk of land. So uh, they kind of disappeared during the Trump era. Um, no sense getting into that. Uh, lots did, I guess. Uh, but of course, now they're back. Let's bring in Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Henry, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well. Yes. Why is uh, why are or why is this summit uh, with all three of these leaders important now in a post-pandemic world? Well, in terms of getting our economy really rolling in the way we want, essentially, uh, I think all three countries, and certainly the United States and Canada for sure, uh, ha- really need to uh, settle problems where there's lack of coordination uh, among the na- among the various countries uh, in terms of the production, processing, and the delivering of uh, supplies, or doing work, uh, food, all sorts of things. And uh, in the over the course of the Trump administration, there have been barriers put up, and and this, and there's been additional barriers put up uh, by uh, some of the policies that the U.S. has uh, decided on to fight the COVID virus, and as well their own recovery, with uh, a big emphasis on made in America. So while that doesn't, uh, the Canadians haven't talked directly about that, uh, but they have certainly hinted that they really want to you know, basically loosen up, um, you know, the stringent requirements uh, between Canada and U.S. uh, so that the Canadian uh, goods and services can be sold in the U.S. more easily. (laughs) 
from what I understand, this isn't a really long period of time. Uh, what are the the big issues here? Simply because, obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic, like you said. There's so much stuff right on our doorstep here, whether it's supply chain issues, right. whether it's still getting the remainder of, of citizens vaccinated and such. Mm-hmm. So what is their agenda? What are they going to try to accomplish? Any idea? Well, it depends on what they agree, what they what they want to agree. It's, it's unclear to me what uh, Biden's going to agree with. He has to worry about... Uh, American Congress people and public opinion in the U.S. that essentially wants uh, uh, their recovery to be in the United States and any any you know policies and money being spent uh, or allocated uh, in the United States they want that spent in the U.S. and of course uh, they that will you know encourage manufacturers and uh, processors and everybody else to pay attention to the United States and do things in the United States and not do them in Canada. So, and that will affect um, a lot of the, you know, the manufacturing that has gone on over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, where, where you know, when something is built, you can, there's a various pieces made in each of the three countries, particularly yeah. in Canada and the U.S., and that essentially will, you know, make, that'll basically make goods more expensive for everybody, and it also, of course, will affect uh, the incentives for people, uh, business people to uh, have plants in, the, in Canada. But as you said, even during a, a global pandemic, the, the uh, focus was on shopping local right. um, and, and supporting uh, workers here and all of that sort of thing. Uh, whereas, obviously, you know, we live in a global supply chain. So how do you balance the whole shop local by American, by Canadian, by Mexican, by whatever, with having free flow of open trade and what we're going to need to really get the economies going? Uh, I think if I knew the answer to that, yeah, exactly. I mean, it is it's very very hard because the American people, a lot of them are, and a lot of people in Congress normally are are very protectionist, and uh, but they don't understand that by being protectionist, they think they're they're helping themselves out, but in fact they're you're, they're making things more difficult for for the type of manufacturing and processing and uh, in uh, economic we we now have in North America. And have had for a long period of time. So it's it's you know so it's it's very difficult for the U.S. president to to go up against this and uh, and essentially convince people that they are better off when in fact we're we you know you if you're building a an automobile that you get the best parts wherever you can in North America because of the automobile then is the best one you can build it'll probably it'll be economical and it'll be a good value for the consumer. And, uh, you know, and, and it will help globally in, uh, in terms of even exporting uh, our automobiles to other countries. How much of this, America. how much of this, Henry, is about America relaunching its uh, image, relaunching these relationships? Because, as you said, in a Trump era, everybody yeah. was kind of the enemy. How much of this is about just opening those lines of communication again? Well, I hopefully Biden, you know, by doing this is going to make make a case to, you know, Americans, you know, by having the three of them here that this is uh we have to do this this is in our interest it's the best way for the u.s to uh, basically uh, go forward uh, cooperation is better than competition among the three countries henry jasek's been with us professor of political science mcmaster university talking about the three amigos summit being revived and will happen a little later on this month henry as always thanks for the time be well okay very good thank you scott Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up right after the 6 o'clock news and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Always well. Scott, how are you? I'm doing very well, and we are not going to talk about Bieber balls today. All right. Um, <laughs> since we since we came in with the gray uh, with the gray cup band, I'm just assuming they're going to play. Uh, Diana was teasing this in the news. Does it look like the Arkells are playing the gray cup halftime show? Is this what we can expect? They are certainly the, uh, what we did a thing. So, um, Bob O'Neill and Rick Zamper from CHML and Steve Milton and I do this thing on YouTube, home games. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we did a video, we put it up on YouTube and we did a video a couple days ago talking about who should do the halftime show. And you know what? Our Kells are the, the one that sort of seemed like the natural choice, but you know, there are others. We, I, I don't know. There are others that would, fit the bill as well but they are the natural one i think and that's what most people are pointing to but you know i mean some people have said well hey what about bringing back teenage head or yeah, monster yep. truck yep. or you know you could go and it doesn't have to be necessarily a hamilton junk house 
You yep, know, and, and here here's the other issue. There's another one coming, and this is you know yeah. sort of a scaled down version. Don't have the whole festival activity this year, uh, but there's another one coming in two years. So do you book them twice? How do you do you do them now? Do you do them then? Oh, you know, you might have to do a two year plan here. Well, you're a very very smart guy, Scott. So you probably know the answer to this one. But when the Grey Cup was here 25 years ago, last, do you oh, remember man. who did the halftime show? I don't. <laughs> so. We were joking on, on home games about this. They're not available for this particular, the nylon. <laughs> You're kidding so, me. I'm not no kidding wonder me. I don't remember it. Well, we were, we were saying they were the only band that didn't have instruments that would go out of tune in the freezing weather, so that's why they were hired. Um, yeah. Not, <laughs> Is that, I, come on, that can't be the reason they were that was, hired. That was not the reason. But, that's, that's what the Box J boys said. <laughs> That's not, I don't think yeah. that was the official. Uh, yeah, boy. It, well, let's hope. Let's hear. And and again, nothing against the nylons, <clears throat> but you know, let's hope we step it up a little bit here. Well, and, and what is what does that say about how the Canadian music industry has changed in the last twenty five years? Well, Scott, it said a lot about a lot of things. It said about the Canadian music industry. It's also said something about the Grey Cup because. You know, remember 1996 when it was here 25 years ago. You may or may not remember this, but the day of the game, Tim Hortons was selling two-for-one Grey Cup tickets. I, I do remember that. I remember it, was, it very, very vividly, yeah. It was close to a complete disaster. And then, I know. of course, of course, as is the case often, we end up with the most monstrous blizzard, and it becomes this legendary game, the snowball. And now everybody in Hamilton apparently been, was there. Was there? Yeah, exactly. Nobody wanted uh, to be there when it was actually happening, but now everybody was there. I remember the fest. The festivities were a blast. I do remember that quite vividly, but not you know. Don't don't ask me to go into detail because I was a lot younger in those days. But I remember the the whole. It was quite the celebration. And, and, and here's the other thing. It, it doesn't necessarily, going back to this year, it doesn't have to be a band from Hamilton, even though that would be nice. I mean, most Grey Cups, the band is not from Hamilton. But my one caveat would be, for heaven's sakes, we've seen it before when they hire an American band. This is the Canadian party. The yeah. one criteria should be, wherever you choose them from, they've got to be a Canadian band. This is the biggest stage. Honestly, it's the biggest stage for... 15 minutes or whatever it is in Canadian music. It's so, Drake, be... you're telling Drake's coming. Drake's coming to do the the, the halftime mm. show? You know, there'll be a lot of people who, I think the CFL would love that, honestly, because they're looking for a younger audience. I think Drake's price might be slightly out of the CFL's territory. Um, even to fill up his jet would cost more probably than the CFL. Well, the on- say, but... probably his entourage would fill Tim Horton's field, let alone any fans in there. No, but I mean, look, there, there's, if you look around at Canadian music, uh, there's lots of choices. I mean, even a couple of years ago or three years ago now, one of the considered one of the best Grey Cup halftime shows ever was Shania Twain when she yeah, came in yeah, on the dog. Yeah, I, I mean, that yeah. was, let, yes, I remember people that. talked about that one. It's a great one. Just don't bring back the black eyed peas or something like that or imagine, imagine dragons or whatever they're called. Um, you know, we, we have tons of Canadian bands that, deserve that opportunity because as i say it's the biggest stage in canadian music and even you'd like to think that you would get a really established canadian band but even if it's someone on their way up this can make a band's career oh absolutely yeah yeah absolutely but you know i mean if you're at that state you don't want someone who you don't want a new one you're going to make his career you want somebody who's already established and already you know can blow the blow the doors off the place but but again you know an abbreviated version this year i you know i i think there's a lot of pressure two years from now to make sure that that this is a barn burner of a party and and not only the game and the halftime show but the whole week you know what else I would love to see, and I know you're short on time, and I would love to see this, and I mean, who knows if this is something that's in the works. Some sort of amalgam. Bring together, you know, get some newer artists, get Kim Mitchell, get, get you know, whoever. Get these guys from the old days, not, and they're not that old, like the 80s and stuff, Burton Cummings and Kim Mitchell and Getty Lee, and, and then a few newer guys, and, you know, do a Canadian thing. Now, again, price is going to be an issue, and interest yeah. is going to be an issue, but... Like there's a showcase so, show with a whole pile of artists. Yeah, that'd be a great idea. so many great Canadian yeah. artists of all the different genres that it would be great to see them all out. Why does it have to be 
one band always, and one band can be great, but why does it always have yeah. to be the same? Do something different. They In the 100th Grey Cup in Toronto, eight years ago, they had Gordon Lightfoot and Justin Bieber and... Um, I remember. Uh, can't remember her name. Call me maybe. What's her name? Um, um, anyway. Carly, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. Thank you. Thank you. And and it was like, you know what? There you're spanning the genres and you're spanning the generations. And, you know, not everyone loves all of them, but pretty much everybody would have had a chance to get something out of it. Intercom, Will. No, uh, great idea. And you know what? We should be on the committee for 2023. Let's work we should. towards that. We should start a band. Scott and the Thompsonettes. <laughs> Uh, you're fronting that one, right? Not me. <laughs> Just to make sure of that. Uh, Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator on right after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. No problem. I, and I'll only front it if they have those auto-tuning microphones. Otherwise, it could be a disaster. Why don't we just make it karaoke? Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. It is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, Thank you to Will and Diana and Ted for contributing. For the last word tonight, we're going to give you a Remembrance Day edition.